Thank you for joining us today. At ResLife, our mission is to develop committed followers of Jesus Christ to reach the world. Our content is created to equip and empower you in God's purpose. We hope you enjoy this message. Well, you know, we're coming into the Christmas season. So uh, I'm going to do uh, the next three Sundays talking about some aspect of the Christmas story. Um, There is so much to talk about. I'm just going to kind of pick and choose a a few things uh, each week, but uh, really looking forward to it. Uh, I I thought about it for all the years that we've been pastoring here, which are now 37 years. um, I've never done more than one Sunday on Christmas. And I thought, well, that's not right. So we're going to we think about it, when Christianity is based, really, our foundation is two supernatural events. One is Christmas, the incarnation, and the other is the resurrection. And so we're going to give a little bit more time to it, uh, kind of take a look at some different things in the Christmas story. Starting in Luke chapter 1, there was in the days of Herod, the king of Judah, a certain priest named Zechariah. Now, he's married. His wife's name is Elizabeth. They're both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord blameless. But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren. And they were both well advanced in years. And so it was that while he was serving as priest before God in the order of the division, according to the custom of the priesthood, his lot fell to burn incense when he went into the temple of the Lord. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And when an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing on the right side of the altar of incense, and when Zechariah saw him, he was troubled, and fear fell upon him. And the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer is heard. And your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you will call his name John. Now, they've been praying for a child for years and years. And God had heard their prayer, but he wasn't working on their timetable. And sometimes we have the same thing. We pray for something and we're we're thinking God has not heard our prayer, but God's simply not working on the timetable that you and I are working on. And he goes on in the 14th verse and says, and you will have joy and gladness and many will rejoice at his John the Baptist's birth for he'll be great in the sight of the Lord. He shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. He will also be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will also go before him, before Jesus, in the spirit and power of Elijah, to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, the disobedience of the wisdom to the just, and to ready a people prepared for the Lord." Now, so many interesting things about this story. Now, this is, gonna, this is the story of John the Baptist, who is, by the way, Jesus' cousin. And the Bible says that he's going to be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. Now, the interesting thing about, about really about Christianity is all of it is not us. In fact, what we can say about Christianity is this. It's different than any religion for a number of reasons. Number one, this is the only religion on the face of the earth with a savior. No other religion has a savior. But the, the, the thing that really jumps out to me is this. Every religion is man reaching to God. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. We're going to do the next thing. Where Christianity 
is not man initiated. It's God initiated. It's not man reaching to God. It's God reaching down to humanity. Completely different, right? And it's not that we earn something from God because the Bible says we're saved by grace. And grace literally defined means what you don't deserve. It's not what you deserve. It's what you don't deserve. And that's why it mentions he's going to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Jesus said the flesh, the things that we do to earn, he said they profit nothing. He said, but the Spirit brings life. In the old covenant, the, the, the priest was not allowed to wear anything that would make him sweat. In other words, it wasn't going to be his works that were going to bring redemption, that were going to bring salvation to people. It's not us, it's God. In fact, in the Old Testament, it says, not by might, right, but by my spirit, says the Lord. It's not by might, it's not by power, but it's by my spirit. It's by the Holy Spirit. Romans 3.20 says this. It says, therefore, by the deeds of the law, or by the things that we do and don't do, because that's what the law was. The law said, do this, don't do that. Do this, don't do that. By the deeds of the law, by performance, no flesh or no person will be justified in his sight. Now, what happens so often with Christians today is their, their, their spiritual life is like this. It's up, it's down, it's up, it's down, it's up, or it's down, it's up. <laughs> Had that kind of mixed up. But here's what we do. We look at our performance and we feel like I'm doing really well. Praise the Lord. You know, I'm holy. I'm good. And, but when we don't do so well, then we feel condemned. And our spiritual life is just like this. It's up and it's down and it's up and it's down based on our performance. Uh, early when I got saved, I heard somebody say this. and I've heard it said many, many times. You know, if you want prayers answered, have a new Christian pray for you. Because they're in this grace period, and they get everything they ask for. How many have heard something similar to that? Come on. Yeah, it's all out there. But here's the truth. It's not that they're in a grace period. They just know they don't deserve anything. And they come to God by grace. They're coming because not because I deserve it, but because you're good. Where after you've been saved for a while, you're like, God, I go to church. God, I read my Bible. God, I pray. God, I give money. God, I sing in the choir. You are lucky to have me? No. <laughs> like, God, I earned this. Right? And as soon as you get in that I earned it spot, you missed it. You've lost, you stepped out of grace, and you're into works, you're into the flesh. And the flesh prophets, nothing. Well, you see, we don't do something to get God's favor, to get God's love. We do it because we have God's favor and have his love. It does, there's nothing you can do to make God love you anymore. There's nothing you can do to make God love you any less. You don't receive anything from God because of your works. Again, Romans 3.20. Because of the works of the law, no flesh, no person, not Mother Teresa, not Billy Graham, nobody is justified in his sight. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21 says, He that knew no sin, Jesus, 
He made God, he, God, made to be sin for us, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Christ. So at the cross, God took all of your nastiness, all of my nastiness, and he put it on Jesus. And he took all of Jesus' goodness and righteousness and put it on us. You're not righteous because of your performance. You're righteous because of Jesus' performance. You don't deserve it. That's why it is grace. It's grace. It's all grace. Now, notice what he's going to do. This is back in Luke 1. He'll turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he's going to go before them in the spirit and the power of Elijah. That's what Elijah the prophet did when Israel had turned to worship Baal. He came and he said, look, put up two altars, put all the prophets of Baal over there, put me over here. Put a sacrifice on each altar and the God that answers by fire, he's God. And when God answered by fire, all the people bowed down and shouted, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. He turned people's hearts back towards God. But then notice, to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Now, one of the things that he says he needs to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children. And if you go back to the, where it's actually quoted from the last chapter of the Old Testament, he needs to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to the fathers. It, it literally goes both ways. The children's hearts need to be turned towards the fathers. The father's hearts need to be turned towards the children. And one of the things that the devil does is he really tries to wound our children. It's that our children have a, a distorted view of what's happening in the home. Children that are loved often believe they're not loved. Children that are valued believe they're not valued. Uh, they believe, so often children believe like we're, we're, we're baggage, we're abused when they're not, and believe the problems in the marriage is their fault. And the actual fact is what, God, what, what the devil does to parents is he, divorce, he distorts their purpose. They think their purpose is success, their career, sports, entertainment. And when they don't realize what their real purpose is. But John the Baptist came and he's going to turn the hearts of the people to the Lord, children of Israel to the Lord, their God. Now, Jesus, by the way, in Mark, the fourth chapter, he mentions several things that take our hearts away. And these are the things literally that John came to deal with. He talks about the kingdom of God and he tells a story. He says, the kingdom of God is like a farmer who sows the seed. And he said, that seed is the gospel of the kingdom. Right? The kingdom of God, get this, the kingdom of God always works like a seed. So Jesus said, first, the seed is planted, and then there's a blade, and then there's a stalk, and then there's the ear, and then there's the full corn in the ear. So what that means is this, that you cannot cheat the kingdom of God. Now, I remember, how many remember back when you were in school, college, high school, whatever it was? You remember, okay. And there was going to be a test. You remember what happened the night before? You got your notes out. You got your books out. You studied. You crammed. The next day you took the test. You passed. Four days later, you knew nothing. 
It didn't change you. You didn't really learn anything. You just crammed for the test and you beat the system. You beat the system. But listen to me. You cannot beat a seed. You can't plant a seed of corn and say, hurry up. I'm going to give you three months of water right now. How many of that doesn't work? But the kingdom as God is like a seed. It's like a seed that we plant. And, and, and the harvest doesn't come in a day or in a week. And so often people, they're, they're, they're trying to cheat the system, but you cannot cheat the kingdom system. You cannot cheat the seed system. So Jesus says some of these seeds, he said, they get sown among the thorns. And he said, this is what it represents. He says, in these people, they hear the gospel, but it never produces fruit. He said, because there's things that can cause the gospel not to produce fruit. He said, number one, the cares of this world. Now, how many know we all have daily responsibilities we need to take care of? How many know you need to brush your teeth? You need to make the bed. I mean, there's just stuff you've got to do. You've got to pay some bills, right? All of those things are fine, but what, the, what Jesus is saying, don't let the daily cares of the world become your focus, right? Your focus has to be the kingdom, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. So then he goes on and he says the deceitfulness of riches. Now, now what, what I think is interesting is how many of us only think that riches have to do with rich people because the deceitfulness of riches doesn't just come to rich people. It comes to everybody. Now, you, we've probably all heard about the billionaire who was asked how much is enough. And he said, well, just a few more billion. Right? But the deceitfulness of riches simply says this to you. If you had more, you'd be safe. You'd be secure. If you had more, you'd be somebody. You'd be whole. You'd be important. You'd be envied. If you had more, you wouldn't hurt. If you had more, you'd be admired and you would be successful if you just had more. But Jesus said, take heed and beware of covetousness for a man's life does not consist in the abundance of the things he possesses. But everybody hears the lies of the deceitfulness of riches. If you just had more, you'd be happy. How many of you realize Hollywood has got some of the prettiest and the richest people out there and they are messed up. They cannot stay married. If Brad Pitt and Angelina, what's her name? Whatever, they can't stay married. They cannot stay married. Robin Williams, uh, he is at the top of his game in his industry. Extremely wealthy. But what does he do? He commits suicide. Because your life does not consist in the abundance of the things that you possess. You can have all that stuff, but that stuff is not going to fill you. Uh, Luis Pascual said that there is a God-sized hole or vacuum inside of every person, and you will not find fulfillment and peace and purpose without that, that vacuum being filled. Someone said it like this, that a fish was created to swim in water, a bird to fly in the sky, and you were created for a relationship with God. And unless you have a relationship with God, not just believe that he is, but that there's a relationship, 
And unless you come to that spot, you are going to have that empty spot that you're going to try to fill with all sorts of different things. In fact, again, uh, Jesus said, and the desire for other things. In other words, he, could be, he said, it could be sports, it could be your career, it could be something you collect, it can be anything. He said, but whenever anything becomes more important than the kingdom of God, he said, you're missing it. He said, and that thing will choke the word of God and it will become unfruitful in your life. So as John the Baptist grows up and he's preparing the way for Jesus, three groups of people come to John and he's out preaching in the wilderness. And first, the regular people just come to John and said, what shall we do? And he said to them, well, he said, uh, those of you that have two tunics, he says, give to somebody who's in need. And, and if you have food extra, he says, share with others. Well, then the soldiers come and they say, what shall we do? And he said, well, don't intimidate anybody and be content with your wages. And then the tax collectors come and they say, what shall we do? And he says, don't charge anybody more than you're really supposed to to pad your pockets. Here's what I think is interesting. Every single group that came to him, he talked about money and he talked about possessions. Because Jesus said that money is the number one false god. He said, you cannot serve God and mammon. And mammon is simply money and the things that mammon or that money can buy. See, we need to keep all those things in their proper perspective, in their proper place, in their proper priority. Luke 1, 17. He will also go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, the disobedient to the wisdom of the wise, and to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Turning the hearts of fathers to the children, children to the fathers. What he's really saying is the most important thing in our life is not things. The most important thing is people. In Malachi chapter two, it talks about, talks about marriage, talks about weddings, right? And, and uh, he says this, he says, did he not make them one having a remnant of the spirit? So he says at a wedding ceremony, there is a guest that nobody sees. It's the Holy spirit and the Holy spirit makes the two one. And then he asked the question, why one? He says, he seeks godly offspring. He seeks godly offspring. The purpose of marriage and the purpose of the spirit of God coming is so that we can take the faith that's in our heart and pass that faith on to our children. When uh, Jacob is about to die, this is Abraham's grandson. He gathers all his family around him. He's got 12 kids and their spouses and their kids. And there's a bunch of them. He gathers everybody around and he gives everybody a specific word. He said, he said, this is for you, Dan. And uh, this is for you, Manasseh. And he, he said, each one of them, he gave them, he spoke to each one of them. And this is what he said. He said, I'm about to be gathered to my people. And he says, bury me with my fathers in the cave, which is in the field of Ephron the Hittite. In the cave that is in the field of Machpelah, which is before Madri in the land of Canaan, which Abraham brought with the field of Ephron the Hittite as a possession for a burial place. He said, there I buried Abraham, or we buried Abraham and Sarah, his wife. 
There they buried Isaac and Rebekah, his wife, and there I buried Leah. And here's what he's saying. He's saying what's important is people. He's saying, first of all, he's got all his family around him. Nobody is going to die and say, hey, bring me in my, 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 pack, my, 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 uh, my portfolio. I want to see all my investments. Nobody's going to care about their house. going to care about their car. What you're going to care about is what's really important is people. He's got his people right with him, all his family, all his kids. And then he starts to talk about his family that's already gone to heaven. His grandparents, actually his great-grandparents, his parents and his, and his parents, his parents and his grandparents. He starts to talk about them and about his wife who he's buried. Because when somebody dies, they leave the family they've got here, but they go hook up with the family they've got in heaven. He says, I'm going to be gathered to my people. You know, and it's people that we can take into eternity. You don't take stuff. You take people. So he's going to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to the fathers. Back to Luke 1, verse 18. Now Zechariah said to the angel, how shall I know this? For I'm an old man and my wife is well advanced in years. And the angel entered and said to him, I'm Gabriel, who stands in the presence of God. And I've sent to speak to you and to bring you these glad tidings. For behold, you'll be mute, not able to speak until the day that these things take place, because you didn't believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their proper time. Now, I, I love this. Zechariah gets a word from, the, from Gabriel, one of the archangels who's from the presence of God. And he says, uh, excuse me, Gabriel, have you looked at me? How old I am? And my wife, uh, we are, the Bible says, well advanced in age. Now, I think that must be in the 80s at least. The older you get, the older that becomes. All right. I imagine he's getting there going, he's saying, hey, hey, they are not going to invent Viagra for 2,000 years. There's, this is just not going to work. All right. He argues with the angel who tells him this is what's going to happen. Now, Hebrews chapter four and verse two. For indeed, the gospel was preached to us as well as to them. But the word which they heard did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in those who heard it. Now, we've all heard people say, well, if God wants to do something, he'll just do it. God wants it. He's just going to do it. But the Bible tells us right here that you can hear the gospel, what Jesus has done for you. And if you don't mix it with faith, it will not profit you. The truth is not enough. The truth for it to become activated in your life has to be mixed with faith. And I think it's interesting that the angel said, you're not going to be able to speak because the way that first faith works is faith works both positive and negative, but it works when you believe it and you say it. Believe it and say it. Second Corinthians 4 verse 13 says, since we have the same. Now, it literally means the identical or carbon copy. We have the same spirit of faith. So, so faith is not something you know in your head. It's not just a principle. Faith is a spirit. And we could we almost, I need to say it like this. 
It's an attitude. It's a belief that affects how you, how you present yourself. It affects how you, 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 uh, your, your, your attitude. It, it expects, it affects what you say, what you think, what you do. Since we have the same spirit of faith, according to what's written, I believe, therefore I spoke. Now I want you to think David going to fight Goliath. He believes and he speaks. He believes and he speaks. Then Paul says, we also believe, therefore we say it, speak. Therefore we speak. We believe, therefore we speak. So the spirit of faith, by the way, you can have it when you're 14 because David did. And you can have it when you're 80 because Moses did. It has nothing to do with your age. Right? But that spirit, you believe and you speak. Now, Jesus curses a fig tree and the fig tree dies. Right? And his disciples draw Jesus' attention to it. Now, what Jesus is going to do is he's going to draw their attention to how faith works. In fact, there is no place in the Bible where the subject of faith is taught to the degree that it's taught right here. So Jesus says to them, Mark eleven twenty two. 22, he says, have faith in God, have faith in God. Now notice what Zechariah, the, the angel said, you will not be able to speak because Zechariah would have been going around saying, well, the angel said, but I don't believe it. The angel said, but that's not going to work. Have you seen Elizabeth lately? This is not going to happen. He'd have been spouting off his mouth. When Joshua went to go and fight Jericho, God says for seven days, for six days actually, walk around at one time. Now, can you imagine, you, you've got about 600,000 soldiers walking around that city, day one, day two, day three, day four. You know what they're saying about day four? That Joshua has lost his mind. This is the stupidest plan I have ever heard of. So we're going to walk around the city and the walls are going to fall down? This guy is nuts. We need to get rid of him. We need to impeach him. That's what we need to do. We need to impeach him and we need to get ourselves somebody who's going to do something right. right? But you know what Joshua said? He said, do you not say one word? Do not say one word. If you can't say something good, say nothing. Keep your mouth shut. So Jesus curses a fig tree. It withers. The disciples say, look, Jesus, in Mark 11, verse 23, Jesus says, King James, my favorite, verily. New King James, assuredly. I believe it's the NIV, the not inspired version, that says truly. <laughs> Probably shouldn't have said that. So, so here's Jesus. Jesus, listen, Jesus is going to start to talk to us about, about our faith. How, do, how does it work? How does faith work? And the first thing that Jesus says is truly, verily, assuredly. So Jesus, this is, this is what it means. It means that Jesus is going to tell you the truth. You know that, right? Because it's Jesus. He always tells you the truth. But when he starts a conversation and says to you, I am going to tell you the truth, it means, number one, he will tell you the truth. And number two, you won't believe him. So, so when we leave here in 15 minutes or whatever time we leave here, 
some of you are going to walk out and you're going to go, yeah, that was a good sermon, but that doesn't work. That wouldn't work for me. Jesus is warning us right now. He says, I'm telling you the truth, but when I tell you the truth, you're not going to believe me. And here's the part of the reason why, because we believe this is everything's up to God. Well, whatever God wants to happen, it's going to happen. Now, in Mark's gospel, Jesus comes down from the Mount of Transfiguration and a man comes to Jesus. When you read the story, what it appears is that his son has some sort of epilepsy. And the man says to Jesus, Jesus, your disciples couldn't help. But if you can do anything, please help. So the guy says, Jesus, here it is. Do something. And Jesus says to him, no way, Jose. He said, that is not how this works. You're trying to put this all on me, but this is not all on me. He says, if you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. If you can believe, and we just want to say, well, it's just not God's timing. It's not God's will. But Jesus said, if you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. So Jesus said, verily I say unto you that whosoever, who does this work for? Rich, poor, man, woman, young. Oh, this works for everybody. Whosoever will say. So you got to believe it, but you've got to say it. In fact, all you need to do to be disqualified is keep your mouth shut. If you say, well, I believe that, that's good. But it doesn't work for just you who believe. It works for whosoever will say. Whosoever will say. I love Philemon. It's one little, the little, maybe one of the very littlest, it may be the littlest book in the whole Bible, except for the Johns. And he says that the communication of your faith may become effectual by the acknowledging of every good thing that's in you in Christ. He says, you need to begin to say who you are in Christ. You need to begin to recognize what Jesus purchased for you. And you need to begin to say what Jesus has done for you, what belongs to you because of Christ. You need to begin to say it. And, and there's a lot of people who really, their faith never moves off neutral because they never confess. They never say who they are in Christ. They never say what Jesus has purchased for them. And by the way, Romans 10, but the righteousness of faith speaks in this way. Faith is always speaking. It says, do not say in your heart who will descend into heaven that is to bring Christ down, who, who will descend into the abyss to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does faith say? It says, the word is near you. It is in your, where? It's in your mouth. There's a miracle in your mouth. It's in your mouth and in your heart, even the word of faith, which we preach. And then it goes on and begins to talk about what you confess and what you believe. But it says that the word is near you. It's in your heart and in your mouth. There has to be a heart mouth connection. What you believe in your heart has to be spoken out of your mouth. So Jesus said, you say to the mountain where most of us are talking about our mountain. They'll say, well, you know, I've had this problem for 14 years 
and my dad had it, and my granddad had it, and my great-granddad had it. In fact, this is six generations. I've been in the hospital eight times. Uh, you, do, you, do you realize I've had six surgeries, and I spent $62,418, and I am not any better, and I tell you right now that this pain down here, sometimes it moves over on the other side, but most of the time it's over here, and one time it got down here, and I'm... You're telling all about your mountain. The more you talk about it, the bigger it gets. Jesus did not tell you to talk about your mountain. Jesus told you to talk to your mountain. You say, well, that's stupid. Well, I don't think so. Jesus talked to trees. He talked to storms. He talked to waves. He talked to sickness. He talked to disease. He talked to demons and told them where to go. See, you need to talk to the mountain, not about the mountain. They said, and you tell it to be cast into the sea. You tell it to be removed. And by the way, the sea is the only thing that's able to receive anything and carry, cover it up completely. So what Jesus is saying, he says, no matter what the mountain is today, no matter what the addiction, no matter what the difficulty, you can speak to it. It will move. And in five years, there'll be no sign it was ever there. It will be totally gone. It'll be covered up by the sea. Don't doubt in your heart, but believe that the things that you say come to pass. They will be done. He will have whatsoever he saith. Three times in this verse, Jesus talks about speaking. And one time he talks about believing. The last time he says he'll have whatsoever he saith, King James, or says, New King James. The Greek word there is the word lego. Uh, just this week, I was uh, at one of our kids' house, and our, our littlest grandson, Bo, he just got some new Legos. And he came out, and he had the box. It's a speeder, a Star Wars speeder. It's right there on the box, brand new. He opens the box and spills it out on the table, but there was no speeder. But there were a whole lot of little parts, and he gets this diagram, and he starts putting them together. Right? You know what he's putting together? The picture that's on the box. He's putting together the speeder. Right? Four years old. You know what he's doing? He is Legoing. He is systematically putting parts together. The Greek word Lego that's used right here means your set systematic discourse. What you say, what you tell, and what you declare to others. You see, in church, whoa, hallelujah, hallelujah, thank you, Lord, I'm, I'm healed. Car on the way home, I'm dying. I'll be dead in a month. If anybody gets COVID-19 and dies, it'll be me. He'll have whatsoever he saith. What's your set systematic discourse? It's great if you say something in church, but you've got to say the same thing in the car. And the same thing when you're at work or you're at school or you're at Starbucks, wherever you are. It's your set systematic discourse. It's the thing that you believe that's coming out of your mouth. Proverbs 18, 21, death and life are in the power of the tongue. And they that love it will eat the fruit thereof. When you think about yourself, here's how you should think about yourself. Right? I am 
a speaking spirit. I'm a speaking spirit. In Genesis chapter 1, God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God said, let there be dry land, and there was dry land. God is a spirit. Listen, the, the, the parent force of everything in the universe is words. Everything that you and I can see, touch, taste, smell, everything was created by words. Now, you're not God, but you are created in the likeness and the image of God. And like God is a spirit, the Bible says you're a spirit. 1 Thessalonians 5.23 says, May the very God of peace sanctify you completely. May your whole spirit, soul, body be preserved blameless under the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And the words that you speak, they're powerful. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and they that love it will eat the fruit thereof. Romans 10.8, but what does faith say? It says the word is near you. It's not, oh, I got to go where this person is, or I've got to do this or do that. In fact, you look at the Old Testament, it says you don't need to cross the sea or go across the mountain. But the word is near you, it's in your mouth, and it's in your heart. Even the word of faith, which we preach. We need to acknowledge every good thing that we have in Christ Jesus. Say, would you please bow your heads for just a moment? And again, a group this size, there's always some of us that have lived for God for decades and others that you don't know where you stand with God. The Bible says this in 1 John. John was Jesus' closest disciple, and he wrote a letter to the church. And he says, we've written these things to you that you may know that you have everlasting life. Know that you have. See, you're not supposed to die and find out if you made it to heaven. You're supposed to know today you're forgiven, you're right with God, you're on your way to heaven. And, and if you don't know that, you're not where you should be. We're going to pray in just a moment, and this prayer is for you. Or if you're away from God, you one time you live for the Lord, but you've drifted away from God, this is for you. So I'm going to ask everybody that's here, everybody that's watching, if you possibly can, wherever you're at, put one hand over your heart, lift your other hand towards heaven. I want you to make these words your own. Pray this prayer. Say, oh God, I believe Jesus died on the cross. I believe his blood paid for my sins and his blood redeemed me. And I believe that he rose again. And I give him all of my heart and all of my life. I'm going to live for Jesus every day. And I thank you, you have heard my confession. You've heard my prayer. And that I am forgiven. My past is gone. I am now a part of your family. Today and forever. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope what you heard today has been encouraging and given you new insight into the Word of God. We upload weekly, so join us again next time. Be blessed and enjoy your week.